invite you to take your Bibles. Join me in the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 5. It seemed to take forever to get through chapters 1, 2, 3, and then 4 kind of flew past. And here we are in Exodus chapter 5. Our theme is Jehovah Unveiled. God has, God has ordained that his people would be in a foreign land, be in Egypt for centuries, and that they would grow and become a mighty people. And his promise is our theme verse, Exodus 6, 6 and 7, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And with great acts of judgment, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. What a great and phenomenal promise he makes to them. And the passage continues, and you will know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt. God wants to be their God. To be honest, I'm excited for chapter 5 to get over, even though we're just starting chapter 5 today, so I can get to chapter 6 and preach that passage, because it's actually quite a bit fuller than, than what we have on the screen. I invite you to join me to read our passage this morning, Exodus chapter 5. I'll begin reading in verse number 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task, each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Would you pray with me?
Lord, I ask for your help this morning. I ask that you would help us to understand from your word how you want us to change. What it is you want us to learn, what it is you want us to do. So Father, fill me. Guide my words. Open our hearts. Use your spirit in us this morning to do your work in our hearts. In his name I pray, amen. Back in chapter 3, Moses is having a conversation with God. And, I mean, we talk about conversations all the time. It's not difficult for us to have conversations with people, even people that are far away from us. This was a very unique event. Moses conversing with God. Jehovah, the Ancient of Days, the one who had promised to make a great nation out of Abraham, that old and childless man. And God did so. This same God who had seemed afar off for all of Moses' life was, was now speaking directly to him and even listening to Moses' responses, his objections. His first objection was one of those light objections. Moses says, well, who am I? Who am I to go and talk to the people of Israel and to talk to Pharaoh? And God kindly and lovingly answers. He says, don't worry, I will be with you. Moses' second objection, well, who are you? Who am I? Who are you? When the, when the people ask me, who is it that sent you to us? How do I respond? And God says, I am who I am. Tell them that the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent you. Moses comes back, well, they won't believe. Don't worry, says God. Okay, he didn't say it that way. He says, I'm giving you signs. I'm giving you evidence. I'm giving you proofs. And so he gives them He gives Moses some miracles to perform. Next, Moses responds with, well, I cannot speak. I can't do it. I don't have the capacity to do what you're asking. And God says, who made your mouth? I made it. And furthermore, I will be with your mouth so that you can do what I have asked you to do. And so finally, Moses gives his last and his worst complaint, but really his fully honest complaint. He says, please send someone else. How often do we find ourselves there? Lord, I know what you want me to do. I don't want to. Please don't make me. And even with that, God's response is gracious and he sends Aaron with Moses. God graciously had an answer to each and every perceived hindrance that Moses could come up with. Last week, as we finished chapter 4, we saw one more hindrance that needed to be resolved before Moses could lead the Israelites. And Moses almost died because of this hindrance. He had failed to obey God's command of circumcision. He had not circumcised his son. Now all that's behind us. It's all behind Moses. His objections have been answered and resolved. God's objection regarding Moses' disobedience has now been resolved. 
what we're going to see from the passage is that Moses is going to obey God. Moses is now obeying God. But that obedience comes with a cost. Moses knew that Pharaoh would resist. God had told him. Remember that? God said, when you go and tell the people, uh, the, the leaders of Israel, the elders of Israel, they will listen. They will believe you. But, Moses is, but Pharaoh is going to resist. Pharaoh is going to be obstinate. So Moses knew that Pharaoh was going to resist, but what Moses did not understand, perhaps, is that Pharaoh was going to retaliate. That's what we see in our passage today. In fact, our big idea is simply this. Obeying God is costly. I'm aware that standing in front of you as your pastor encouraging you to obey God, that telling you, by the way, when you do obey God, it's going to hurt from time to time. It's going to cost you something. That's not a very pleasing message, is it? That's not exactly how you go out and win people to your cause. By the way, this is going to hurt. That's exactly what we see happening in our passage today. In verses 1 through 3, we have, Thus says the Lord. Afterward, after everything we read in chapter 4, afterward, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and say, Thus says the Lord. And if you're reading in your scripture, you see that it's all caps. That's Jehovah. That is Uh, very specifically the proper name for God. This is the first time in Scripture that we see an authoritative message introduced as such. Thus says the Lord. Now we're going to see it many times later, later in the book of Exodus, later throughout uh, the Old Testament prophets. But this is the first time in Scripture we find it. The only time we find this phrase prior is when God is instructing Moses just a few verses earlier in chapter 4 verse 22 Moses is being instructed by God then you shall say to Pharaoh thus says the Lord Israel is my firstborn son so right here in chapter 5 verse 1 is the first time this phrase is actually executed and as it's being used what a very memorable command is attached to it thus says the Lord Let my people go. Why is God even giving this message to Pharaoh? In a sense, he's asking permission. Why even ask Pharaoh? Why even include Pharaoh in the process? You know, when Peter was in prison in Acts chapter 12, how did Peter get out of prison? God sent an angel. And his chains fell off, and somehow the guards just weren't paying attention, and Peter just walks out. Right? That happened. When Paul and Silas were in prison, God sent an earthquake, and the prison fell apart around them. Or how about Gideon and his 300 men? They were grossly outnumbered. They were outsupplied by the Midianite army. And God sends them not with swords and spears, but with torches and trumpets. And they light their torches in the middle of the night and they blow their trumpets. And the Midianites, in the the confusion and clamor, end up killing each other. And God gives Gideon the victory. Why does God even include Pharaoh in this conversation? 
Scripture goes on and on about how uh, different, different events happen because God made it happen. Uh, think of Joshua leading the nation of Israel around the city of Jericho. They go on a marching spree. They have, they have band camp for a week. Yes, our students just had band camp. They're scowling. They had band camp for a week, and then the walls come tumbling down. Why even ask Pharaoh when God could have just freed them by other means, and, and everybody would have known that God was the one doing it? Why ask Pharaoh? God always has more purposes in mind than we ever know, right? Always. In this instance, we can see some of God's purpose at play. One such purpose was that so that the nations would know, so that Egypt would know that the God of Israel is powerful, not just by rescuing the Israelites, but by overthrowing the Egyptians as well. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh says, verse 2, who is Jehovah? I don't know Jehovah. I don't answer to Jehovah. I'm not going to let him go. Pharaoh's response is pretty predictable. Pharaoh is a god, a lowercase g god, in his realm, isn't he? Who is this god of yours? I don't know him. I'm not subject to your god. So when the God of Israel, the God of the Hebrews, when Jehovah sends this message through Moses and Aaron saying, these are my people, let my people go, Pharaoh doesn't, doesn't just not know God, doesn't just not believe God. He believes that Israel is his people, that he owns them and can do with, what, do with them as he pleases. Pharaoh's response is essentially, they're my people, you can't have them. And we know that he believes that he has ownership because he just says, I'm not going to let him go. So Pharaoh has a small view of God and a very large view of himself, does he not? He really does believe he's a God. So he thinks and behaves in a completely self-autonomous manner, doing what he once. Every time we act self-autonomously, regardless of how God has instructed us to live, God has given us his instruction and we go and live our own way. That's what I mean by living self-autonomously. We also are acting like Pharaoh. And when you read this passage, you don't want to find yourself acting like Pharaoh, do you? We want to be Moses. We want to be the man that, that goes into Pharaoh's presence and with his brother at his side, they communicate the truth of God. We don't want to be compared to Pharaoh. But the reality is, when we act of our own will rather than following the will of God, we are acting like Pharaoh. We too are having a small view of God and a big view of ourselves. When we disobey God, we have a small view of God and His Word and a big view of our priorities. When we distrust God, when we do not put our faith in what God has said, we have a small view of God and a big view of our problems. 
Why is that? Is it because we see our problems? Probably. Then why is it we don't see God? Well, because he's invisible. No, it's because we're not focused on his word, right? We're not meditating on his truths. In the very last chapter that we read together, that we went through, chapter 4, Moses was in this same state. He didn't trust God. He was hesitant to obey God, but not now. And praise the Lord for that. By the way, just because you've gone through a season or you're going through a season of disobedience, of distrusting, doesn't mean that's the end of your story. If we were to look at chapters 3 and 4 in the, in the life of Moses and how he keeps kind of arguing with God, we could have a very negative view of Moses. But look at him now. Look at Moses' response here in verse 3. Then they, Moses and Aaron, said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. By the way, just that statement alone. Amazing. God has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. That asking for three days is not asking for a week off to go three days out, worship, and come back. It's saying that that's, how, that's a measure of distance. Uh, we Iowans like to talk about distance in terms of time as well, don't we? How far is it to get to Council Bluff? So about 45 minutes, unless you drive too fast. They're just, he, he's just giving that this is, this is the time it might take to travel there. He's actually asking for a significant amount of time for them to go to set up to have a week's worth of worship before the, the possibility of returning. Notice what he says might happen. In, I'm in verse 3. What he says might happen if we don't go. He says, let us go this journey that we may sacrifice, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. God had successfully instilled within Moses fear. He nearly died. Moses nearly died for having not circumcised his son. He was convinced of God's determination to have his people obey him in worship. Excuse me. So Moses' assessment was that if they did not go and worship, there would indeed be severe consequences for them. So whether or not God specifically told them of some sort of punishment that would befall Israel if they didn't go, Moses knew the character of God. That if they didn't obey, there could be some real problems. So thus says the Lord, verses 1-3, through three, Thus says Pharaoh... Verses 4 through 7. Pharaoh is going to have none of this foolishness from Moses and Aaron. Remember, when God told Moses to go to Pharaoh, he was going to go to Moses with Aaron, but also with the elders of Israel. So there's a, a group of people that have all gone in to meet with Pharaoh. Pharaoh is going to have none of this. His greatest concern is the stoppage of work. He's like, you come in here and you want me to give up my free labor? I don't think so. I don't think so. God has given a command, and at this point in the storyline, now, I mean, if you've been in church any amount of time, you probably know what's coming next, all right? 
It's, it's not a big secret. We know the end of the story. But at this moment, not knowing what happens next, it seems as though God's command is falling flat, doesn't it? God's commanding Pharaoh, let my people go. And who's actually showing themselves to be powerful in this passage? It's Pharaoh, isn't it? God is given a command. Pharaoh responds with a command of his own, one that will be immediately implemented, one that will have immediate consequences, immediate pain. So he gives the order about removing the supply of straw. Keep the quota. Keep building bricks. Keep making as many as you had before, but get the supply yourself. Pharaoh's game plan, and this is not just this Pharaoh's game plan, but for generations in the past, his predecessors, uh, Pharaoh's game plan is to control the people by making them work hard. That was his plan for population control back in chapter 1. You remember that? Pharaoh recognized that the Hebrew people were getting very numerous. He says, well, I know how to stop that. I'll make them work harder. (laughs) By the way, that's not how you control a population, as Pharaoh learned that same game plan now. Make their work harder. So he decrees the Hebrews must continue to make bricks but find the supply on their own. So apparently those in the, the straw gathering and transportation and storage uh, business of society were going to be on vacation for the foreseeable future, apparently. God had, Pharaoh had commanded that they stop supplying and Israel go get it themselves. The result then, verses 12 to 14, is thus suffers the people. Thus says the Lord, let my people go. Thus says Pharaoh, nope, and I'm making your work hard. So what happens, verse 12, so the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. Pharaoh has made an irrational, impossible command. Complete your work. Verse 14, the taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task, as each day, as when there was straw, but you have to go get the straw yourselves. He was giving an impossible, irrational command. Legitimate laws and rules are ones made that can be fulfilled, first of all, and are for the good, are for the good of all. Pharaoh's ruling makes it impossible for the Israelites to make enough bricks. And the bricks that they do make, they're going to be of a lower quality. Because this stubble that they gather here in verse 12 is not going to be the same as the straw that had been provided before. So there's going to be less supply of brick for the builders, and the supply that they do have is going to be inferior. So who's benefiting from this ruling? The Israelites aren't benefiting. The the Egyptian people who are who are using this supply of bricks, they're not benefiting. The only one who really gets to benefit from this rule is Pharaoh, and his only benefit is he gets to vent. He gets to express his anger. God's commands, however, are always for our benefit. His commands are always for our benefit. Good. They may be difficult, and at times they may seem impossible, 
But God's commands are always for our good. God's command to Pharaoh, let my people go, was actually for Pharaoh's benefit. Because if Pharaoh were to say, okay, he would have been in submission to God and would have actually prevented all the plagues that are coming, would have prevented ultimately his downfall and defeat, the plundering of Egypt. It would have been to Pharaoh's benefit to submit to Jehovah. God's command to the Israelites to go and worship God was to their benefit. It is to our benefit to worship God. In their case, it wasn't just to get out of Egypt. That was also a benefit to them. That wasn't the main benefit. The main benefit was writing and improving that relationship with God. But having a right relationship with God is always to our benefit. But obeying is costly. We see it in our passage, verse 14. The foreman of the people of Israel. So we have Pharaoh's taskmasters who are over the foreman. The foremen are Israelite people, and they're the ones who are the immediate uh, bosses, the immediate supervisors of the actual Israelite slaves. These foremen are now being beaten and being asked, why aren't you producing enough bricks? Obeying God is costly. By the end of today's passage, because the leaders of Israel, Moses, Aaron, the, the complement of, of the elders of Israel, because of the leaders of Israel and their obedience, innocent individuals are being caught in the middle and are being beaten. Did anybody sign up for this? Moses didn't know that this was going to happen. Would the elders have gone along with it if they knew that it was going to happen? I don't know. And, and honestly, here's where a lot of people get stuck. We see evil growing in our world, don't we? And the easy, the natural assumption is that God is somehow powerless or in another way, not in control, right? And why wouldn't people come to this conclusion? We tell people that if you trust God, God will bless you. By the way, is that true? You're all afraid that that's a trick question. (laughs) Is it true that if you trust God, you will be blessed by God? Some of you are braver, thank you. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. That's the book of Jeremiah. By the way, what good things happen in the book of Jeremiah? Not a lot. 
Yet the scripture boldly declares, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Psalm 1, same thing. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but he trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the one who trusts in God. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Forever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and what? How's the verse end? And that he rewards those who seek him. Does God bless those who trust him? That was a little better. We're still a Baptist church in Iowa. I get it. We tell people, trust God and he will shower you with blessings. And we tell them that because it's true. It is truth from the scripture. But when we see struggles instead of blessings, that confuses us, doesn't it? People get a little disoriented. And that's actually where we're leaving the Israelites today. But here's the good news. Yes, obeying God is costly. There will be times of pain There will be times of sorrow. Scripture, the same scriptures that tell us to expect blessings from God also tell us that we will suffer for his name's sake. Okay? Trusting God, obeying God is costly, but it's not the end of the story. The Israelites don't know that yet. And when you're in the depths of pain, when you have this this chronic pain, this chronic disease, when you have losses that only heaven will restore, when you have these struggles in front of your face and that's what you see, it's sometimes hard to remember that that's not the end of the story. Yes, obeying God is costly, but the cost is temporal and the reward is eternal. So, will you obey God even when obedience hurts? Better question. Will you trust God even though obedience hurts? Scripture doesn't say it, but I know people. I'm pretty sure there are a whole bunch of Israelites at this point in this passage that are like, this stinks. We were better off last week before Moses showed up, right? And if you've read the rest of the story, you know they get out of Egypt, and what do they do? As soon as times get hard, oh, we're out of water. It would have been better if we were back in Egypt. You think they're a little distrusting at the moment? Probably. Because all they can see is the struggle. Will you trust God even though obedience hurts? Obeying God is costly. It's not the end of the story. Moses and the leaders of Israel are trusting God and people are being hurt, but it will lead to their release. So my challenge for you this morning is to 
Keep the big picture in view. Don't be nearsighted. When you're nearsighted, all you can see is what's up close. When I take these off, y'all are a blur. Some of you look better that way. But when we take off the glasses, the spiritual glasses, when we take off the lens of Scripture, and we fail to see what God has promised in the future, we get nearsighted and all we see are our problems. Keep the big picture in view. Don't be nearsighted spiritually. Don't linger on your immediate circumstances. As a people, we're, growing, we're going through things. As families, as individuals. I know lots of ways, lots of, lots of pictures went through my mind as I wrote parts of this passage. Because I know how you're suffering. I know how you're struggling. But don't linger on your immediate circumstances. Rather, focus, meditate on the promises that God has made for you that are eternal. Eternal. 